We pray for the ministry of your presence and your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. It's a rainy day. Everybody's a little cold. Everybody's wearing their jackets. Everybody's a little stiff. So let's make sure that we warm up. Everybody roll your shoulders. Everybody stretch left. Everybody stretch right. We should do a pop quiz to get the brain moving, right? Who remembers the five discipleship questions? Who remembers the five discipleship questions? Because if you don't, you probably won't make it to heaven. Uh, so, uh, so what are they? Shout, shout them out and the angels will rejoice. What's God been saying to you recently is number one. Excellent. What's that? What, what's been tangling you up lately? It's two. Well, actually, that's number three, but... What are you doing about it? So that's the order, guys. Come on, shake out the dust. Come on. What's God been saying to you recently? What are you doing about it? What's hard about it? What's been tangling you up recently? Not yet, not yet. Number four is, who, who are you bringing along in the process? So through all that, who, whom are you trying to help? And then number five, let's hear it. How can I help you? I, it's a generous congregation, so we just want to skip to the part of how, how I can help you. Let, let's, do it, let's do it one more time because that's, that's about, it's about a C minus there. We can, we can do better than that. Number one, what's God been saying to you recently? Number two, what are you doing about it? How are you following through? Finish this sentence. Discipleship is... Follow through. Okay, remember that one. It was kind of a gimme. Uh, number three. <laughs> All right, everybody stand up. Just want to massage the shoulders of the person to your left. Get the blood flowing to the brain. All right, turn around, massage the shoulders of the person to your right. All right, sit back down, sit back down. It's my fault, really. I'm a bad teacher. We haven't taken that quiz in a number of weeks. Um, and, and the brain gets rusty, doesn't it? Sometimes, sometimes we forget, sometimes we forget, which is why I love the first question. What's God been saying to you recently? Because if, we're not const if we don't constantly have input, uh, then we tend to drift, don't we? Uh, we, we, tend to, uh, we tend to forget. What's God been saying to you recently, I think, is the most important discipleship question that there is. One, because it helps us not to drift. And two, because it points to what I think is the most essential and exciting element in a life of faith following after the Lord, which is God speaks. God speaks. And if you're going to have a relationship with someone, you have to figure out how to communicate with that person. And our relationship with God is, is no different. What has God been saying to you recently? The presumption in that question is that God actually speaks, that God <clears throat> has been saying something to you recently. And that is an article of faith 
that is a pillar in the faith life. To relate to God will somehow involve communicating with God, and communication is a two-way street. We speak to God, and God speaks to us. The life of faith, the Bible teaches, has never really been a religious system. There are, you know, laws, there are traditions, there are all sorts of of instructions given in the book that we call the Bible, but what the Bible makes incredibly clear is that the heart of it all is interacting with this God who's at the center of the story with uh, humanity. Let's see if the kids do any better. Let's see if the kids do any better. What's God been, what's God been saying to you recently? Um, we, have, we have some pre-volunteers. See, Faith, what's God been saying to you recently? That you're having a good life? Fantastic! Been a lot of changes in Faith's life uh, recently. All right, Tiana in the back there. What's God been saying to you recently? I see, I see you talking to mom, so I know you got a good answer. Everybody around you seems to know what God's been saying to you recently. <laughs> I, I cannot hear that. Telling you to be a good person at school. Telling you to be light at school. Fantastic. Good. <laughs> Ministry Kuliana. Smiley over there. What's God been saying to you recently, honey? He's been saying, avoid the pastor at all costs. That God is good. Fantastic. God's been saying that God is good. One of, one of the things I love about our KK ministry is that uh, I know that every session they do back there uh, in KK ministry uh, across, the gla- across the grass on Sundays, uh, there's the component uh, where the kids just listen uh, to God or listen to God for one another. It's always been a vital part of the life of faith. Uh, There is a whole chunk of the Old Testament uh, dedicated to characterizing humanity's conversation with God. It's a chunk that we typically refer to as the prophets or the prophetic books. We've been doing this series on the whole Bible, uh, as as Ben mentioned earlier. Uh, We started out at the beginning uh, in the book of Genesis. Uh, The first part of Genesis is a collection of the oldest memories we have as the human race, uh, the oldest stories, uh, and they're all about where we came from and what's going on. They describe the original problem that we had as humanity, which is we knew God existed, but we did not trust his character, Uh, and as a result, uh, we screwed things up. It makes clear uh, that if we trust God, though, that we find our purpose on earth, that God created us not just to hang out, 
but because he had stuff for us to do. And then later in the book of Genesis, we get the story of Abraham, which is the first story of a faith journey. God calls Abraham out of the world that had become sort of polytheistic and drifting, and it got very religiously confused, and God said, hey, I'll be your God. You be my guy. Um, I have called you out of what you know into a purpose. I will make you a blessing to every nation on earth. When God calls a person, he always calls that person to purpose. And then we get the description of, of the first, re first recorded faith journey of Abraham. Faith is a journey into uncertainty, we learn. And then we get stories of Exodus, how God frees his people, uh, Abraham's descendants, who had become enslaved. And we discover that setting people free is not just a matter of of changing their situation. It's a matter of giving them a free person's mentality. And freeing the mind is much harder than just freeing a person uh, from the circumstances of slavery. And then God sets about to sort of implement certain things in life that helps keep people free in life. Uh, some of those things we call the law, rules for staying free, rules for not slipping back into a slavery of the mind or a slavery of the spirit. At the heart of the law is the sacrificial system, a uh, feature uh, which is just really interesting. God gives rules, but at the heart of those rules is a process for being forgiven, for making mistakes. And when we took a look at the sacrificial system, it becomes clear that it's not, God's not really a, a stickler for rules per se because the sacrificial system, uh, although it requires that you realize when you've drifted, uh, it also makes clear that God bends over backwards to make sure that forgiveness is fairly easy. You can sacrifice a sheep. If you don't have a sheep, you can sacrifice some birds. If you don't have some birds, uh, you can sacrifice a handful of cereal. God just wants it to be clear that there's a way to get right with Him. There's a way to get right with God always. That's what the system teaches us. And there's a promise in the story of Abraham that says, ultimately, God himself will provide the sacrifice. And that's how we arrive ultimately at the story of Jesus, but we're not there yet. We looked last week at what it's like to live in promise, to live in the promised land. And what we learned was that uh, God has gone on his way to make sure that this world is a fight. If you are not fighting, then you are drifting. It's in fighting. It's in the challenges that you decide who you are. It's when times are easy that you tend to drift and you forget who you are. In life, if you're not engaged in the fight for the kingdom, you've forgotten who you are. You are drifting. You are drifting in life. We have to have a quote-unquote violent spirit. You have to have a little bit of attitude uh, in the journey of faith. And then today we're going to take a look at a chunk called the prophetic books, which by number uh, are more plentiful than any other sort of book in the Old Testament. There are 17 prophetic books, and that doesn't even count First and Second Samuel, uh, which are mostly historical narrative. The 17 books, uh, prophetic books, are <gasps> a, lot of, a lot of great baby names in this list, by the way. Uh, Isaiah. Uh, which is the first one, uh, first of what they call the major prophets, which are the longest prophetic books. Isaiah was written about 740 B.C., 700 B.C., somewhere in there. It's uh, by a guy who lived in southern Israel. Um, the kingdom had become uh, split, 
Uh, and it's about how uh, southern Israel is probably going to be destroyed if they don't uh, get straight, but that God has a plan for restoration and that a Messiah ultimately will come. Isaiah is called the Prince of Prophets, 66 books long, book long, books long. Um, all the other prophets sort of uh, admired Isaiah. Jeremiah, which describes the fall of Jerusalem. Uh, Jeremiah prophesied its destruction and then recorded it when it happened. Lamentations, which follows the book of Jeremiah, which is just a book of sad prophetic songs mourning the fall of Jerusalem. There's Ezekiel, which was written by a guy in exile. So after Israel gets destroyed, he goes into exile uh, and has some grand visions of heaven and God's future purposes for humanity. There's the book of Daniel, which was my favorite book when I was a kid, written in 530 B.C. or so. And it's the life of this guy, Daniel, who was a prophet in exile after his country had been destroyed. Uh, they had stopped fighting, right? And then Israel was destroyed by the enemy tribes. They get taken into exile. But these prophets said, don't worry, God still has a way out. God was still communicating with his people, even though their country had been destroyed. Hosea, written about 715 B.C. or, uh, you know, a little over 700 years before Christ, it records the fall of the northern kingdom uh, and uses uh, marriage as a metaphor of Israel's unfaithfulness. God tells this prophet Isaiah, hey, go marry a loose woman. She will betray you, but it's cool. I'm using it as a prophetic metaphor. Could be a TV series. And so Hosea marries the girl, and she cheats on him and leaves him, and it's all about that relationship. And God says, see, that's just like Israel is with me. I married Israel, and they cheat on me all the time, and uh, now they're going to get wiped out until such a day as I gather them and bring them back, but they need this discipline. Uh, Joel, uh, maybe one of the first prophetic books written about 840 B.C., uh, prophesies the destruction of Jerusalem uh, the southern kingdom, and then eventual glory days to come, a plan of restoration. Amos is about the destruction of, of Israel, and it's really a judgment against injustice to the poor and a superficial religion. Uh, I could go on and characterize uh, the rest of them, but the theme is essentially, look, you guys forgot to fight. You screwed up, and I'm going to send all of these prophets... I'm going to prophesy destruction. I'm going to call you to repentance. You don't do it. Uh, and therefore, I'm going to wipe you out uh, for a little while. And then I'm going to restore you. And hopefully in that process, you will learn. God disciplines and God restores. And then a great number of the prophetic books contain prophecies about uh, this Messiah, this promised one who would come. And the nation of Israel, even in exile, begins to hear predictions about this coming Messiah and a new way of doing things that promises restoration not just for them but for the whole world. Uh, after Amos, we get Obadiah, which I think is a neglected baby name. Uh, Jonah, everybody knows the, the story of Jonah. He goes and against his will prophesies to Nineveh. Uh, and Nineveh repents and doesn't get destroyed. Uh, for about a hundred years or so, uh, and eventually um, uh, 
Nahum would come, another prophet, uh, prophesy, say, hey, you, you repented once for Jonah, but you've screwed up again. They don't listen to Nahum, and then Nineveh gets destroyed. Uh, Micah slips in there before Nahum. We got ha- Habakkuk. Anybody considering naming their baby Habakkuk? Yeah. Oh, Antonio and, and Johanna. Did Johanna know that? Zephaniah, uh, Haggai, uh, which is post-return, the Jerusalem uh, exiles return to Jerusalem and rebuild it, and Haggai's there to encourage them to finish their job because no sooner do they arrive back in the in the promised land and start rebuilding the temple after it's been destroyed. And they kind of, they start drifting and Haggai shows up. Zechariah follows Haggai, says the same thing. Hey, don't forget to finish the job of restoration. And then there's Malachi, which is the last book. Uh, my uh, favorite quote from Malachi is, he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that they will not come and smite the land, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Uh, there's, this, there's this restoration, this prophecy of restoration at a basic level, you know, sort of the level of, of the Ohana. And then the Old Testament is done, boom. And uh, there are no books written for about 400 years until Jesus shows up. Seventeen of those suckers, it's a huge part of the Old Testament, just God talking to us. There's a great value in having a God who communicates, who doesn't just set up a system, but that speaks to you the whole time, your life story, the story of your nation is being unfolded. Uh, what's the value of a God who speaks? Well, I mean, it's nice to have a relationship with the living God. It's nice to know that He's not entirely distant. And it's good to have coaching. It's good to have people showing up and saying, hey, God, shared with me that you'd better repent, or God has shared with me a warning that you'd better behave yourself, or you will slip back into slave mentality. You know, you'll become one of the problem people in the world. You'll start hurting other people, and then God will have to do something disciplinary about that. That's all, that's very useful to have a God actually speaks to you. But, but here's the thing, and it's what I want to understand about God speaking and how He does it and what the Bible says about it. If you're a God that wants to provoke trust in people, you want to develop a people that trust you, uh, what do you do? Well, in the book of Genesis, we learn that you kind of remove yourself from direct observance for a while. In Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, we knew that God existed because we walked with Him in the garden, but we did not trust that He was good. And so God does something. He makes it harder to believe that He exists. He kind of removes Himself from our daily life in an obvious observational sort of way and says, in order to believe I exist, you have to trust me first. And so He puts the emphasis back on trust, right? So... God becomes less than obvious. But that God still wants to speak to us, so how do you do it? Well, you do it prophetically. You do it subtly. You do it symbolically. Or you do it through special measures. You speak to your people, but there's a layer of complication to it. So that, in order for your people to hear you, they still have to exercise faith. 
Did this message really come from God? Did that dream I have really come from God? I feel like I heard this in my prayer time, but, but was that really God speaking? And so the trick is, in order to hear God prophetically, you have to exercise faith. In the life of faith, hearing God happens, God speaks, but you have to exercise faith to do the hearing. You understand? That's how it works. And I just feel that's a really useful insight. Oh yeah, God speaks to you. God speaks to every person here. I'm quite confident of that. However, to hear what He says, you have to exercise faith. You have to take a little leap of faith on it. And that's what all the prophetic books are about. It's like God calling you back to faith. Hey, this is God speaking to you. Are you going to believe it or not? Are you going to trust it or not? And I think that is just a huge part of our life with God even today. Do you have the faith to listen to God in real time? It takes far less faith to observe a religious system than it does to walk with a living God who's speaking to you in real time and telling you what to do. You understand? Say amen if you do. Say, I hear you, Jordan. I don't always understand what you say, but I'm exercising faith. I'm leaning into the sermon. That's why I speak as I do. I try to be a little bit confusing so that you have to exercise faith, and that's just one more way that you can appreciate me. That's why I do it, yeah. Hearing God prophetically uh, uh, involves exercising faith. I kind of understand it in three parts. There are three parts to hearing God uh, prophetically. Uh, Part number one comes the perceiving. You might think that if the all-powerful living God speaks to you, it would be obvious, right? Right? But when I read through all of those prophetic books and read about all of the prophets, the first thing I realize is that when the living God speaks, even to the great prophets, it's not always obvious. That even even in the perceiving of God speaking, Uh, there's a leap of faith involved. My favorite story of this comes uh, from the very beginning of of, uh, what was maybe the the first great prophet of the nation of Israel, the the prophet Samuel. Uh, Samuel's a very special little boy. He's basically dedicated to the the temple, essentially, when he was young, raised by a priest named Eli. Uh, Samuel is just a little boy, and the Lord speaks to him Uh, one night when he was going to bed, speaks to him audibly, but Samuel thinks it's Eli calling him from down the hall. And so he gets up and he runs in and says, yeah, Eli, what do you want? And he's like, "Uh, I didn't say anything. Goes back to bed. It happens again. It happens again. Finally, Eli says, "Um, maybe it's God speaking to you. And then the next time God called Samuel's name, Samuel says, oh, yeah, God, I'm listening what do you have to say? And that's how Samuel's prophetic career began. God speaks audibly to the kid, but the kid doesn't realize it's God. Uh, We see that again in Scripture, instances in the gospel of of, of God speaking from heaven, and the people on on the ground who heard it, some of them realized it was God, some of them thought it was angels, some of them thought it was thunder. You know, if God visited you in a personal manifestation and stood in front of you, you'd notice that, right? But 
when God manifested in the burning bush in front of Moses, he didn't know what it was until God made it clear and said, hey, take off your shoes, this is holy ground. On the plains in front of Jericho, the captain of the Lord's host, some think it was a prefigurement of Jesus, came and stood in front of Joshua, and Joshua said, drew his sword and said, are you with us or our enemies? He thought it was an enemy soldier. And then the guy said, oh, no, 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 I'm the captain of the Lord's host. And then Joshua bowed down and realized his mistake, but he couldn't tell who it was. Paul says, many of you have been visited by angels and not realized it, he said to the New Testament church. Even when God is obvious, He's not so obvious. You read through the prophetic books, books like uh, Zechariah, which are just gloriously beautiful and symbolic. Isaiah is often the same way. The Lord will give you a dream. The Lord will put an image in your mind, but it will be symbolic. There'll be a riddle to it. There'll be a code that you have to figure out. It'll be like one of, one of Katie's paintings. We know that means something, right? But as she paints during worship, we're like, what is the Lord communicating through that wonderful prophetic artist up front. Sometimes she doesn't even know until she's done. But the Lord reveals Himself. The Lord communicates in such a way that you have to have faith just to realize it's the Lord who's talking. Uh, this is, this is uh, my, uh, my, my, my number one insight here. If God is so subtle, how do you know it's Him who's talking? How do you know? Everybody close your eyes. Who's talking to you right now? Jordan, how do you know it's me? You recognize my voice. How long have you known me? Three years, two years, a little while. How long have you known the Lord? Many of you have known the Lord for a lot longer than that. You should be familiar with His voice by now. And if you're not, it's because you're just not listening regularly. It's about familiarity, and that's, I think, why the Lord speaks so subtly. It's because He wants us to make the effort to become familiar with Him. And that's one of the beautiful outcomes, one of the beautiful effects of the Lord speaking prophetically. We have to make the effort to hear, and if we make the effort to hear, we're investing in the relationship, and if we're investing in a relationship with God, then we're trying to be otherworldly people. And if we're trying to be otherworldly people, we'll be free people will be free. Then if you perceive accurately, then there's the understanding. Uh, you have to learn to understand what it is that you perceive. My favorite story from this comes from the opening chapter of the book of Jeremiah. I liked it so much I named my kid Jeremiah. This is the story of the call of Jeremiah, who at the, young, at the time was a youth, some sort of uh, maybe a teen, we're not really sure. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Hey, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations, which is a pretty heady thing for God to say to a youth. Uh, Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pick somebody else. Uh, I'm not really comfortable with being a, a prophet to the nations. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. Uh, you must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Well, there's not a lot of wiggle room in that. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you, 
declares the Lord. You're going to be dependent on me. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot, to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Wow. That's, uh, that's quite a hiring process. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. What? What's going on there? Are you following? It turns out that in the Hebrew language, uh, the word for almond tree uh, is a a homonym for the word of watching. They, They sound similar. So it's a little bit like the Lord was saying to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah said, I see a tree branch. And then the Lord said, you have seen correctly, uh, for you are branching out into new things. It's a pun. It's a pun. The only biblically sanctioned form of humor. (laughs) There are puns and there's sarcasm. I love them both. Um, so I, I think it's, what I love about this passage is that you get to see God schooling his prophet in how to interpret, how to understand what he perceives. Do you perceive something? I might have heard something from you. Do you know what it means? No. Okay, let me teach you the skill of interpretation. And the first skill is punny. Uh, And the Lord perhaps started with a pun because this was a kid who was very, very nervous, and I think he probably would have chuckled at this. It's like, ah, the God who puns. All right, you I can work with. Uh, And that's not a bad way for a prophet to the nations to start out. Uh, And God says, yeah, you got it. You got it. Do you get how this works? He's like, all right, I kind of get how this works. Give me another one. Give me another one. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? All right, all right. I have a vision of a pot that is boiling. And it wasn't just a vision. It comes with a little extra information. It is tilting toward us from the north. So he doesn't just get a vision. He gets a little little bit of knowledge that comes along. So you see his, his visions are starting to amplify. They're starting to deepen. And the Lord said to me, ah, yeah, you got it, because from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in this land. It's a prophecy of an invading army that will come from from the north. And this goes on for a while in the book of Jeremiah, and uh, it's a great read. You should do it sometime, because there are all of these little vignettes in which you get to see the Lord in a very practical way work out prophecies with Jeremiah, uh, their interpretation. A great book for budding prophets. Um, why does God do that? Why doesn't He just speak clearly? What's your theory? Why do you have to work to understand what He says? You have to, you have, to have faith to perceive it, and then you have to work to understand it. Why? Relationship, it's the journey, not the destination. Yeah, I, I think both kind of get at the same thing. It's because it's not enough for the Lord to convey information. The Lord is trying to develop a conversation. 
And there is no understanding of the Lord unless you have a functional relationship and conversation with the Lord. It forces you to check in with Him. Am I seeing this right? Give me some more. Let, let's work this out. Let's figure it out together. You start to see a theme here. And then there's applying prophecies, uh, which is the hardest part. It's, it's a bit of a challenge to perceive prophecies. It's a bit greater challenge to understand them. And then you have to figure out how they apply to life. And then that's harder still. Most, there, there are hundreds of prophecies about the coming of Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, almost nobody recognized Jesus when he showed up. They knew a Messiah was coming. Right? They had lots and lots of warning. Uh, they had whole traditions built up around the Messiah. But when Jesus showed up, they almost all missed it. You know who didn't miss it? A bunch of foreign magi, some wise men from Persia, from Iran, essentially. Uh, you, you know, my theory is how, how the wise men figured out Jesus was coming. How did they figure it out? They looked at the stars, right, because they were astrologers. Why were they looking at the stars, though? Why, did, why were they looking at the stars to see if a Messiah was born in Palestine? What tipped them off? They knew the prophecies. In particular, I, they knew well the prophecies of this guy named Daniel, who was a prophet in exile and. I'll just do this really quickly. It's one of my favorite examples of how to apply prophecy in the Old Testament. From Daniel chapter 9, there's a prophecy called uh, the prophecy of 77s or seven weeks. And Daniel is prophesying about the coming Messiah, but he perceives it and he delivers it symbolically. There's a riddle to it. This is what he says. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy, or to anoint the promised one. So this is a prophecy about the promised one. No one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. Do the math. Seven, seven and sixty-two makes sixty-nine sevens. And it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of... Uh, of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end will come like a flood. Uh, war will come, blah, blah, blah. It goes on. Very easy to miss that. What the heck is Daniel talking about? It's something to do with the, the, the coming of the anointed one and then the subsequent destruction of Jerusalem, which is going to be rebuilt at some point. Well, uh, people wrestled with that uh, for centuries. Uh, but this is what I think the Magi were reading because Daniel uh, prophesied that when he was in Persia. He was in exile in Persia. And then it got stuck in the Persian library. And for generations, the wise men of Persia read it. So let's do the math a little bit. The decree that Jerusalem uh, will be rebuilt is mentioned. Uh, and that happened, we know exactly when it happened. It happened March 5th, 15th, 445 B.C. 
And he says from there, there will be like basically 69 sevens. So 445 BC plus 69 times seven uh, equals 483 years. Um, uh, the Jewish year, the solar year, was uh, 360 days, not 365 like our years. So 483 years, 483 times 360 Jewish years equals 173,880 days. Are you following me so far? You can use your smartphones to confirm my math. Um, so uh, translating that to our current calendar, you have to factor in 119 leap years uh, because... I won't explain that, but... So what you get is March 15, 445 B.C., plus uh, 483 uh, Jewish years, uh, plus 119-odd days. It comes out to uh, the Anointed One will show up in Jerusalem in the first week of April in 32 A.D. So who was around Jerusalem the first week of April, which is to say Passover? Who was around... Jerusalem and Passover in 32 AD that you know of. Jesus of Nazareth. Now, scholars don't know exactly when Jesus of Nazareth was in Jerusalem. They know that he was there. 32 AD, there are all sorts of, you know, conflicting implementations of calendaring or anyway, but, but it tells you why wise men in Persia were looking at the skies trying to figure out if the promised guy, the promised anointed one, the Messiah, had shown up in Palestine yet. The Magi were applying the prophecy with watchfulness. No one in Israel was, uh, but these guys in Persia were, and that's why they showed up when they did. They saw a special star in the sky, a supernova or something, we're not sure what it was, and, and then they went to the encyclopedias and they said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, 483, it's this prophecy. I bet, I bet that's what it's signaling. And so they took off on a journey, probably took them many months to get there, and, and then they asked directions. Hey, was anybody special born around here? And that's how they found Jesus at home with Mary. How about that? There's a lot of watchfulness and humility and waiting in applying that prophecy. How much faith did it take for them to apply that prophecy in their lives? A lot. How much faith will it take for you to apply the the instructions and words of the Lord in your life? Probably a lot as well. All right, let's wrap this thing up. It's rainy. In the book of Joel, which is the other scripture on your program, uh, Joel, uh, again, was writing somewhere in the 800s B.C. In the Old Testament, only certain people heard from God they were special ones, anointed ones. They had a special calling. But Joel had this vision where he looked forward in the future. He saw the day of the Lord. He saw a day of judgment. But then he said, uh, destruction of Jerusalem, destruction of Israel. But he said, but after that, he's speaking as the Lord. I will pour out my spirit in all people. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see vi visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Joel predicts a day in which the Spirit of God will be poured out on all flesh. Young, old, man, woman, it doesn't matter. Everybody will dream dreams or have visions. Everybody will get to hear from God for himself or herself. 
And Joel 2, uh, 28 and 29, was the passage that, that Peter quoted from on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit finally comes to the church, when, when it's poured out on all of us. We all have access to the Holy Spirit now. The hallmark of the age of the old Holy Spirit in which we live, live the post-Jesus age, is that now everybody gets to hear from God prophetically. You know, we don't just have special guys writing special books. Now we all get to hear from God. We all get to perceive we all get to wrestle to understand, and we all get to exercise faith in applying what the Lord says to us. This is the most exciting time in world history to be alive. We get to be a prophetic people instead of just reading a prophetic Bible. It's really cool to do the math and to see how the prophecy in Daniel recorded, you know, 600 years before Christ came turns out so specifically. The Bible is a book unlike any other book ever written. It is super impressive if you bother to understand it. But now, as impressive as that is, we get something even more impressive. We get to hear from God ourselves in real time. It's a major feature. We, we grow up, don't we? The Bible in its story arc is a story about humanity growing up with God. We started as juveniles. We understood almost nothing about God. He gave us basic rules. He gave us basic systems. He started a basic conversation, but we are growing up. Now, we don't just have the rules. We're starting to understand the meaning behind the rules. Now, we don't have prophetic books, just have prophetic books to read. Now, we actually get to hear from God as a, as a, as a family of God. Have you met the God who speaks? What's God been saying to you recently? That's the first discipleship question. Do you have an answer? Do you know? Because you should. That is the bedrock of what it's like to walk with God. More than anything else, I desire us to be people who hear the voice of God in our lives and do something about it. Here's a few tips for walking with the God who, speak, who speaks. Number one, listen to God. If God is speaking, we should be listening. To not listen is rude. Listen in prayer. Listen in your dreams. Uh, I've been, you know, teaching on this subject for 25 years. Here's my number one tip for getting started if you have absolutely no idea if you're hearing from God or not. Keep a tablet and a pen by your bed, and when you work up in, wake up in the morning, write one line about what you have dreamt. Don't write the whole dream because that takes too long and you've got to get to work, but write one line and just the act of writing one line, one summary about what you dreamt. Oh, I dreamt about you know, I, I had that dream about surfing. I had a dream about, today I had a dream about church. I woke up to a dream about church. And if you just write it down, then later in the day you'll be able to remember what you dreamt. If you don't write it down, you will have forgotten what you dreamed. How many of you dreamed last night? Wrong. 100% of you dreamed last night. That's what your brain does. How many of you dreamed dreams from God last night? Well, you can only tell with practice. But with a little practice, you'll realize that what you're doing is hearing from God in your dreams instead of dreaming because you ate too much spicy pizza before bed. 
Um, so it, that's just a way to practice hearing the voice of the Lord. Uh, number two, listen with others. Every Ohana group at this church practices something that we call the mush pot, which is uh, in, in every Ohana group that you go to. If you're not in an Ohana group, you really need to get into one. Pretty much any day of the week, all over the island, uh, we have different Ohana groups meeting. It's a small group. They meet in somebody's home usually. Uh, you go, you hang out with people, uh, you, uh, you fellowship, you have some authentic relationships, you meet people, you have a truth discussion, you encourage one another, and there's always a time in those groups in which you kind of get in a circle and you pray for someone. You throw somebody in the middle. We call it a mush pot because it's like getting thrown into a pot. And then people pray for you. And if you're on the ring praying for someone, you practice hearing for that person together. You practice speaking and you practice listening. You practice conversation with God. It's a huge culture builder. And you will grow in your conversation with God if you attend an Ohana group. I promise you. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Because God is always speaking. So listen to God with others. Um, it's like learning any language. Um, you get with other people and start talking it, you'll learn it faster. And then the third tip is do what you hear. If you think God has said something to you, follow through on it, even if you're not sure. You know what we call doing something when you're not sure? Faith. The fact that God speaks to us doesn't mean that our life is always guaranteed. Oh, God said it, so definitely it's going to happen. You know why? Because maybe you didn't perceive correctly. Maybe you didn't understand it perfectly. Or maybe you haven't applied it as you should. Sometimes it takes years to see the promises of God fulfilled. And so living a prophetic life, which is to say living a life of response to God will test your faith like no other life will. And that's the point. That's the point. It's risky. And it's adventurous. This church exists uh, because some of us responded to the guidance of the Lord. I planted other churches because of dreams my wife had. Um, how many of you have heard the Lord speak to you in a way that has shaped your life? Go ahead, raise your hands high. Let this be an act of worship. How many of you have heard the Lord speak to you in a way that has shaped your life? Yeah. You know, the, the truths of scriptures are the bedrock of my life, but the voice of the Lord speaking to me in real time only that explains the shape of my life. That's why I do what I do. That's why I live where I live. That's why my days look like what they look like. Uh, because I listen to God and I need my very best to follow through on what He tells me. For you veterans, if you feel like you're just not hearing anything from the Lord lately, there's an 80% chance that's because you didn't follow through on the last thing the Lord told you to do. Right. And you kind of know it. <laughs> And so it's gummed up your ears. Uh, for those of you who are just starting out in hearing the voice of the Lord, I want to uh, encourage you slash warn you 
that what will happen is that he will speak something affirming to you, and then he will call you to do some action. And that will require faith. But that's the fight.